welcome y'all to the Direct Examination Podcast. I'm Dane Phillips. And I'm Joseph Bias. It is March. The skies are opening up. Vaccines are readily available. And I get to be in a Zoom room with Dane Phillips. And so the weather changes 20 degrees. That's right. Legitimately, uh, it was summer this past weekend. It's like fall right now and it's winter tomorrow. So this is South Carolina and it's very basic. Dan, how are you? Like, just living the dream. Just what lawyer would not want to be a co-host on the best podcast in South Carolina? That's true. Uh, you know, but there is one thing I need to address with you. Okay. I believe you committed adultery. Yeah. And I want you to confess and I want you to <laughs> ask for forgiveness. Sure. For sure. Our, listeners, our listeners forgiveness. Um, okay. So uh, if you follow us on social media, you probably saw that um, Wofford who to be fair, Dane, they do be before you. Um, Wofford reached out and asked that's me. That's what to... they always say when they go <laughs> back. Right? It's like you know that was like that first love. Right, right. Thing. Well, but you're in my, a committed relationship now. I, Dane, I know, and I'm sorry, um, but Wofford did reach out, and I did commit adultery. I did their first episode of the Terriers Together podcast, which, by the way, you can find on uh, YouTube. It was a video show. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's cool. I, I am excited for you. That's a good well, thing. Thank you. Thank you. And it, it was great uh, speaking with them, but I, I'm not going to lie. There was guilt in my heart because <laughs> you weren't there, buddy. And uh, so this, you know, I strayed, I strayed, but now I'm back home, Dave. And Ever faithful. <laughs> that's right. No, uh, I, I love it. I mean, obviously, you know, you're a diehard Wofford guy. And, yeah, you know, that's true. Look, between although I'm a the USC guy, you know nobody can contest that between Wofford and Citadel, y- y'all have a stranglehold on the legal community. So, uh, <laughs> we it, it's it's very funny because you know on that podcast it was two attorneys, and you know it could have been a bunch of different people. I don't know why they picked me. It's great. But yeah, if you were just pulling out of the Wofford group of attorneys, um, it's still a good pe- amount of people. So, hey, kids, if you're listening, go to Wofford. Um, and, you know. Things tend to work out pretty well for me. It, it tends to work out. But my brother-in-law uh, went to Wofford, so I'm, I'm all for it. Dane, this is why I came back to you, buddy. You know, <laughs> this is a, you know, like I said, I strayed, but now I'm back home. So we have some, you know, updates as far as the court system in in south carolina real big news yes real big news Jane, you justice, want to go through that yeah yeah chief justice Beatty issued an order on friday i mean this is what we've been waiting on for quite some time courts are opening back up on march 15th trials are able to start back on april 5th uh, i mean this is again this is the big change kind of that uh, fault line shift that right. we've been waiting for since the cancellation of in-person hearings it's about to get pretty nutty for us trial lawyers, uh, especially criminal practitioners, because there's a lot of people who uh, ha- have had trials continued, and I've certainly had some big ones. And we've been in the since Friday. I've been in a lot of email chains, and we even had a status conference uh, with the judge and scheduling trials. I mean, uh, you know, it's kind of a it's you know like old street ball. Somebody goes out in the yard and says "game on," uh, and that's pretty much where we're at. So it's a uh, and there's just so much to catch up on and try to get get done because there are plenty of cases that do need to be moved that just uh, haven't had that opportunity. 
Yeah, I think what the general public may not realize is that even though that these trials aren't going on, they're not going away. And so now that the light switch has come on and, you know, we're ready to go, you know, these attorneys like yourself who have been, you know, dealing with issues as you can now, you know, now it's game on and, you know, get the suits pressed and uh, they yeah. can start. Everybody's just kind of been wandering around. Right. Once the lights cut on, everybody starts throwing punches at each other. That's right. That's right. Look, I have a, uh, I won't say who, but I have a, a family friend who got a jury duty summons and they called me and they were like, do you think they're, I'll actually have a jury trial? I was like, absolutely you will. It's you will absolutely happen. have a jury trial, if not more, more than one. It's sorry. So yeah, if you listen to this, you're getting a jury summons. Congratulations. You're actually going to have a trial to sit on. It's going to be great. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm excited, you know, going basically a year without a trial. It's, it's a bummer. If you, yeah. if you enjoy trying cases and you're a trial lawyer, at first you're oh, it's kind of relaxing. You can get, get some uh, work done. And, but you know, once you hit that year mark, it's, you you're get ready to get into it. Yeah. You're ready to go. I hear you. Uh, it's not going to be fun uh, in the in the moment of trying to do to deal with all the scheduling conflicts that are coming. But you, you you remove the scheduling conflicts, you focus on the trial, and uh, you know again, the way I always look at it is uh, this is the life I wanted, and who could complain of having the privilege and opportunity to be able to do this job? That's the way I look at it. Well, very well said, and we'll see how everything shakes out going forward, but, you know, pray for your trial attorney friends because they will not be okay. And be uh, uh, speaking of trial attorneys, uh, we have nothing but illustrious guests, you know, Dane, I, I know I can speak for you. We have guests that uh, have had uh, interesting pasts and stories, but this particular guest may take the cake. Our guest today is truly illustrious, and we could spend the whole episode listing her accomplishments. As a college junior, fed up with the lack of factual information and advice available, Vicki set up the city's first crisis hotline for pregnant women and distributed information on health and legal resources to students. In 1971, as a law student, Vicki filed a lawsuit when she was denied a Senate page position with the South Carolina State Legislature on the basis of her gender. Represented by attorney Jean Toll and law professor Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the lawsuit triggered a three-year battle that was ultimately successful in opening up doors for countless young women that followed. Vicki went on to continue breaking barriers as a litigator and as a founder of the South Carolina Women Lawyers Association. To this day... She is a litigator with Nexon Pruitt, a mediator, fierce advocate, teacher, and mentor. Please welcome Vicki Esslinger to the show. So, Victoria, one of the things that we like to do is start by going into someone's origin story. So if you could, really, how did the whole thought process of, I want to become a lawyer, uh, how, did, how did this all start? Uh, well, first of all, please call me Vicky, or I think you're really oh, angry at me. I, I apologize. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, well, my, my father was a lawyer, although he didn't practice law. Um, I guess I wanted to be a lawyer because I grew up in the 60s, and I realized the way to achieve social justice or to do things that you really wanted to do to make a difference was through the law. Uh, at that point, 
I didn't realize the dearth of women who were in the law. <clears throat> I was fortunate because my parents always encouraged me to do whatever I wanted to do. If I said I wanted to be a nurse, they would say, why don't you be a doctor? They always encouraged me and my brother uh, to achieve our aspirations. So you, you obviously have a unique backstory and uh, one of the, I think, highlights of people who are reading, are reading the show notes is, you know, you actually filed a lawsuit um, to become a Senate page at the end of your legal career. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that process was like as far as, you know, you tried to apply and what happened? All right, well, it was at the beginning of, uh, of law school. Let me first say that I am a product of very conservative parents. My mother was um, French and Spanish from the Southern part of uh, France. And my father was American, Indian, and German, which is not a really flexible combination. And uh, <laughs> they uh, married and produced these uh, two children. And I, when I went to law school, I looked around and I saw that all of my colleagues, my, uh, there were five women in my class out of about 350 that started. And the boys were getting these cushy jobs at the state legislature that back then paid $12 an hour. Now, in 1970, that was an enormous amount of money. And they didn't have to work on Mondays or Fridays if they didn't want to, but they, uh, they got to see the legislative process. They got to learn how state government worked. They got to make connections. And I thought that would be a great job. So the Richland County delegation appointed me and I went over to the state house and I'm 5'1". I go up to the clerk of court who was about, he had to be 6'5". And I said, Mr. Thomas, here's my application. And he said, for what? And I said, well, I've been appointed a page. And he looked at me up and down and he said, well, you know, you're a girl. And this was I, shocking to you, obviously. I decided to be polite and not say, and you're not blind. I said, um, <laughs> yes. And he said, well, I'm sorry. Uh, we don't hire girls here. If you were your brother, we would love to have you. And I said, well, you know, I'm a first year law student. And I think the Constitution will not let you do that. You have to treat me the same. And he, he stood up, leaned over me, pat me on my head and said, so sue me. And I said, okay. And I did. I love it. I love it. So at, at that point, because I know this uh, story I've read, but for our listeners who may not know, you know, the ACLU basically decided to help you out. And you had some attorneys who worked on your behalf. Well, I knew about the ACLU Women's Rights Project. And so I contacted them. That's how I first talked to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And uh, I was directed to the uh, ACLU in Columbia, a man named Lachlan McDonald. And in deciding to bring this action against the governor and the Senate and the president pro tem of the Senate, he thought we should find another local lawyer and he got Gene Toll. And so both of them, um, all of the ACLU represented me. At that time, Ruth Ginsburg was a professor 
a law professor. She was, uh, had started when I first talked to her at Rutgers and then I moved up to um, uh, NYU, I think, or Columbia. So that's how I came to them. A little aside is once they filed the suit, Lachlan McDonald filed the suit. My father had been out of town and I was at home as a poor law student. I'd gone home to have a nice dinner. Right. And as he walked in and turned on the TV, there wasn't a remote back then. He said, I want your da daughter. I stopped by the state house on my way home. I'd like you to uh, tell me this rumor I heard is not true. And I said, I got to go to the library, Dad. And he <laughs> said, well, I want to discuss this with you. And it was just as the news was coming on. And they said, and today in federal court, Victoria Esslinger, daughter of Vassar Esslinger, filed suit against, and then they went on into all the defendants, and I couldn't get out of there fast. <laughs> so wait, he didn't know? No, he didn't know. <laughs> well, I mean, so you, you got to see my, my four-year-old daughter here with me, and I want to say, you know, that one of the reasons why uh, I'd love her kind of watching this and certainly being a part of your episode is to have that type of courage to, to stand up and, you know, to make change uh, when it would be, it would have been easy to, to turn around and walk away. Uh, and it took great courage, even like you said, with you, having to face your own father about the <laughs> issue, right. knowing it's now a public lawsuit and he was getting dragged into it, uh, which had no, had no part of it. Uh, but, you know, it's just, a, it's just outstanding uh, to have, you know, trailblazers uh, that's been willing to, uh, give my daughter these opportunities. So thank you. Well, thank you. I'm not sure they looked at it that way, but both my parents always taught us uh, to have a backbone and stand up for what you believed in. So, so I, I've been very fortunate for that. I assume at some point your father then um, understood and uh, appreciated the efforts that you and your team were uh, making. Well, he absolutely thought that women should be allowed to be pages, but he was a state's rights person. So gotcha. he thought that the if the legislature didn't want to hire females, they didn't have to. He thought it was wrong, but uh, he ultimately uh, warmed up to the suit, I think. So I, I, I'll be remiss if I don't ask. So you were had the opportunity to have conversations and work litigation with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which is you know the most iconic uh, woman jurist uh, of all time. And so, uh, could, if you could just tell us a story or kind of maybe expound upon that, some I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't go down that that rabbit hole. Well, she was not uh, so famous, obviously back then. She was a professor, but she at Rutgers they had started a women's rights law journal. And that's, I'd actually called Rutgers and they put me through to her. That's how I stumbled upon her. I didn't really know who, who she was. <laughs> she was um, spectacular. I mean, she never changed. People in her old age used to think that she was uh, kind of frail and that she spoke hesitatingly because of her age. She always spoke that way, slowly, deliberately, I think because she was thinking through everything she was saying. Um, and she was, she was always very small. Now, remember, I was just a first year law student or first through third year law student. 
What I remember most is at one point, they let me be on a phone call. Our team had sent a brief up uh, for her review. And this is not uh, Justice Toll who had um, done that. It, there was a younger lawyer who had written um, the brief and they sent it up to Ruth for her comments. And I was on the phone listening. And at one point she said, there is a misplaced comma in the sentence. I will not put my name to anything so sloppy. Do not send me work like that. And that sunk into me. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And years later, in fact, just a few years ago, within the last six years, I was asked to help uh, write something for her and send it to her. And so 45 years later, my heart is beating like, <laughs> like a hummingbird going, you have oh those God, words I've in your head write this for her. <laughs> oh my God, is there a misplaced comma? Is there a misplaced period? <laughs> I was just hysterical. I tried hard not to, uh, not to have to do it, but I did. <laughs> I'm curious, Vicki, you know, and, and I, I mean this, of course, with love and respect, but as someone going through, you know, these changes, you know, you live through Vietnam and the civil rights movement and, you know, things that I don't know if you knew then how important it was, but it, at what point did you realize like, wait a second, this is a really big deal that I'm involved in. Like this is changing you know, lives or will change lives in this state and in the country? Well, I don't think I ever thought of it that way. I thought it's wrong to tell women that we can't work as a page simply because of our gender. And in the middle of that suit, right after we filed it, the legislature uh, changed the law to say that women could be tour guides. <laughs> um, and they said, Amazingly, because usually the protective legislation that you had was to protect women's health, but their defense was that um, this would uh, harm the Senate's reputation if they hired uh, females. I didn't know that when I got into it, but I absolutely thought that you should be uh, judged by your ability. Um, as Martin Luther King said, Jr. said, by the content of your character, not by the color of your skin or uh, extrapolating any accident of birth, whether you're male, female, whatever your race is, uh, you should be judged on your own merit. And the legislature didn't want to do that. Although the entire Richland County delegation appointed me, including uh, Sen then Senator Bristow, who became a judge, a circuit court judge. So I never thought, oh, gee, this is making history. Um, I did notice that the press followed us around a lot. And at one point, the judge had to issue an apology for something untoward he had said. And uh, that caused a big brouhaha. So I could see it was making a difference. Well, I mean, it was as simple as right and wrong. You knew what they were doing was wrong, and you, you held up to that principle. That's right. So, so kind of going into the, in the same vein, 
starting the first all-female firm in South Carolina, was that a, I mean, I'm sure it was intentional, but how did, how did, what was the catalyst for that? I mean, you've, you're coming off obviously being a first year law student, having probably the most significant first year law student experience uh, (laughs) than any other South Carolina law students ever had. And so, yeah, why not start the first all female uh, law firm in the state? So let me say, I learned, I learned the rules of civil procedure. by going through my lawsuit. So that made it interesting instead of boring, just reading rules. I mean, we filed a TRO, we learn about TROs. I mean, so that was, that was uh, fun. Um, I worked, I worked first at legal, legal aid, it was called legal aid service agency. And we could do anything as long as you could get two lawyers to say they would not take a fee generating case. And so we could do desegregation cases, we could do uh, Title VII, we could do all kinds of things. And then after I'd been at Legal Aid, I thought I should just start my own firm because other places are gonna tell us that we can't really do the kind of cases we wanna do. Right. And so Lucy and I started that firm and then later took in Ann Furr. Vicki, one of the things we've touched on on the past is, you know, the different experiences of young lawyers. And, you know, I don't think any young lawyer could have or a law student could have the same experience that you had. But, you know, from working in legal services and then, you know, starting up your own firm, I'm curious if they, if you think that there's a central experience that a young lawyer um, in South Carolina needs to have. Do you think all lawyers need to do some type of public service? You know, was it helpful for you to start your firm? I, I'm curious if there's a nexus at, at, as you have kind of gone through your career, something that you believe lawyers should do. Well, I believe older lawyers should help younger lawyers. We could never have started our law firm if I hadn't had an array of incredible people uh, supporting us, Alex Sanders, um, I.S. Levy Johnson, all kinds of people helped and gave us advice, including when I tried my first uh, jury trial. Uh, so I think that's important. I think all young lawyers should realize that they have to try on different styles before they settle into one that will be uh, characterized the way they try cases. What do you mean by that? Well, um, when I was in law school, there weren't very many women uh, who were practicing. And so the people that I watched try cases were men. I got down to the courthouse and watched. And when I watched cross-examination, a lot of them would bellow. The, men, the lawyers would bellow or intimidate the witness. And I was five one, and I mostly squeaked. And so I couldn't really bellow I couldn't I had to figure out a way that I could be effective to do the cross-examination and get the information that I wanted out of the witness so you 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 watch a lot of people and you develop a style we've talked about before about you know you kind of have to uh your instinct is to copy what you see uh, but it may not work for everybody. I tend to talk a little bit faster than some of my Southern colleagues. So it would look silly if I'm sitting there, you know, trying to do an impression of some other attorney. And then <laughs> outside the courtroom, I talk like I talk now. So yeah, I, I definitely yeah, also, understand. 
have to, you've got to do your homework. You've got to know your case and learn your case and um, realize you're not going to win every single one of them. I mean, I, I can remember standing there as a young lawyer thinking, oh, I wish the ground would open up and I could slowly sink into it and disappear forever. And then you realize, uh, you know, nobody's going to remember that. I've wanted to crawl under the table a couple of times. That's why I, I know I know what you mean. Uh, so that first jury trial, talk to me about kind of how did you have a judge that was favorable, or did they give you what? Did you have a similar experience as as being uh, at the state house? Well, that first jury trial was in front of um, Judge Bates and. Uh, he was uh, very old back then and he was very opinionated. And it was a fraud case. It was my very first case. So I, there I am sitting there and uh, the, the other legal aid person, the head of legal aid was there. And I didn't realize then that um, they would take the lawyer trying their first case and, and then get up and leave. <laughs> the lawyers there all alone, the young lawyer. And I had uh, been working on it with a bunch of mentors. I mean, Kirby Sheely, Alex Sanders helped me. And during the course of that case, a Jewish lawyer who was well-known uh, came in and walked over and talked to me. And then um, uh, Alex Sanders came over and talked to me. And then a few minutes later, I.S. Levy Johnson came in and talked to me before the trial had started and the judge looked up and said, what kind of case is this? <laughs> um, and, you know, they left, they were just there to support because they'd helped me get ready for it and prepare. And um, so after that, the judge kind of bent over backwards. It was almost embarrassing because uh, my first witness got up and he said, bailiff, help this witness over there. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he really did bend over backwards so people were really really nice well he was scared of making all the uh you know heavyweights who were help you out man i was about to say after he saw that 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 train of lawyers walk through and basically give uh give the uh you know uh, however you say it they, they they kiss the ring so to speak that's they, right okay you better you better try this one fair and square <laughs> well that might have been what they were doing they just it was in the old county courthouse which has long since been torn down um, and so it was different from the new court, what I call the new courthouse, the courthouse that's in existence now. Uh, so all the, the courtrooms were near each other and people would just walk in and out and gotcha. do your help you. Vicki, the, the, the way that I know you obviously is that we were, I, I was fortunate enough to be paired with you um, for the uh, South Carolina School of Law 1L mentoring program. And I've heard you tell those students the importance of uh, mentors, and obviously that's why you do it. I want our audience to kind of hear that from you as well. You know, you talked about, you know, Judge Sanders and I. Sleepy Johnson and all these people who kind of helped you out. What should a young attorney look for in a mentor? Well, first of all, virtually all of the older lawyers love helping young lawyers. So they should know that. And uh, I, I guess you look for somebody 
with roughly the kind of experience you want, whether or not it is litigation or uh, real estate or corporate uh, and, and find somebody uh, that you can go to and ask questions and know that that person will keep it confidential and do what they can to help you. I mean, the bar is just riddled with people who want to help. We love being asked questions. That's true. I mean, we couldn't be a bigger proponent of mentorship. I, I wouldn't be where I'm at in my career. I certainly wouldn't be here uh, today without the mentors I've had. And I've had just some incredible ones. And so I know that's the same for Joseph. Uh, he, he's We've, we've been beyond blessed with uh, just uh, with having, having the right people who have supported us, taught us how to do things the right way. Dade, let me tell you in, in, in all seriousness. So Vicki and I have been paired up for two years now. And it's the funniest thing every year is the first mentoring meeting where like, okay, Vicky, introduce yourself. Well, I, you know, I've had cases with Gene Toll and Ginsburg. I started Squala and like I teach at Harvard. Oh, and then there's Joseph and I'm like, hi, I'm, I have a podcast. <laughs> I've I've always felt so proud to be connected while feeling so inadequate. Well, I mean, look. So let's, we 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 can toot your horn some. I mean, you are a top twenty under forty. Look, uh, yes, yeah, uh, South Carolina Young Lawyer of the Year award. Look, look, hush, you're hush. Great, uh, you you're an adjunct professor at the law. <laughs> Look, I can tell you that very well accomplished. I, I, I appreciate it. it's very kind, but Vicky, like it it's so great because I know those kids are getting a lot from from you and I'm just there for the ride. I'm learning too, so it's yeah. it's wonderful. I mentioned uh Squala. Um you are one of the founding members of that organization and it is uh you know ballooned into you know, the uh, Women's Advocacy Organization for Lawyers. Can you talk a little bit about your mindset into starting that um, organization and your thoughts on kind of how it's progressing and, and what you hope that they do going forward? Well, Ann Furr and I were sitting around uh, talking, uh, I mean, many years ago, and we said, I wonder why we don't have uh, women lawyers organization. I mean, there were not as many as there are now. And then we said, well, let's send out a postcard and see how, uh, how many people we get. And let's call Jean Toll and see what she thinks about that. And so we called Jean. She thought it was a great idea. She was very um, supportive. We sent out a postcard and we had it at the law school. The meeting was going to be at the law school. And we were astonished at the number of people that showed up. This was something that was really needed. And I've been thrilled uh, with the organization to watch how it's grown, to watch how it's mentored people to uh, women, to watch the kinds of uh, activities in which it engages. It's, it's just been fabulous and they're getting better. And the younger uh, women are making a huge impact on the organization and on the bar. 
I mean, now it's not unusual to see women in all aspects of bar, bar leadership. And I think that's wonderful. And I think I'd like to uh, think a lot of that is a result of uh, the, the South Carolina Women Lawyers Association too, helping them see and deal with uh, kinds of issues that may be unique to them. Now we also have men members as well. Well, what you just said that issues that are unique to women, a question kind of popped in my head while, while we were discussing the, uh, everything just a second ago. What do you believe is the biggest issue that women lawyers face today? Obviously, you've come a long way from 1970 uh, in the progression of, uh, I mean, women now outnumber uh, law students. I think it, generally you have over 50% of law students are, are women. Uh, there's certainly uh, women partners in virtually every facet of, of every firm. And so, but th there's still plenty of adversity uh, that's there. And we've, we've addressed that in plenty of other episodes, but what do you believe to be the biggest issue that women lawyers still face in the legal community in South Carolina as a, as a woman lawyer? Wow. Um, I think we have a, a problem with women uh, being able to, well, let me stop that, count to five. I think the law sometimes is not compatible with uh, motherhood or with obligations uh, that women undertake at home and at work. I think you have fewer women rising to management positions or high positions in large firms. Uh, smaller firms are not that much of a problem because uh, you don't have the structure the larger ones do. And certainly large firms are not uh, for everyone. But I think we're dropping out of the legal profession and not, a, not a rising to the heights uh, that everybody could because of many things. I mean, that includes daycare, it includes uh, flex time. I'm hopeful that this pandemic has made it easier now for women to practice law and raise children. This is, it's hard to find a complete silver lining in the pandemic, but that <laughs> right. may be one. From the outside looking in, and you know, I will obviously defer to you, but the one thing that I've noticed is uh, the unfairness in qualifications for judges just, right. I, I feel like, you know, there's a, and, and that kind of piggybacks off of what you were saying, but, you know, we've seen in this state recently, and I have a feeling we will see in the near future, um, the evaluation of our um, qualified women attorneys to become judges or to become court of appeals with Supreme Court. And I, I, I think we need to relook at that and, um, look at the discrimination that goes into that. But anyway. Now, well, look, Justice Ginsburg said it best, right? When they're nine. They said, yeah. When there is there uh, women on the Supreme Court? Well, when they're nine. There you go. At a Supreme Court of all men. So certainly uh, there's a lot of truth to that. And so and they're harsher on things they they criticize women for. Too. Right. Not just appearance or language. Uh, they, they just 
the problem is that we still have discrimination and a lot of people don't recognize it because it is not as uh, overt as it used to be. It's gotten much more subtle. Well, we wrap up every episode. We ask all of our guests um, for their favorite war story. Uh, you know, as we talked about before, this could be something that's funny or poignant. Uh, something that's emotional. It could be uh, something good about the law, bad about the law. You know, we've had a lot of guests. I think we're in our 80s as far as episodes. Um, we've had a lot of war stories, but I will venture say we have not had anybody that has had the experience that you have with some of the major players in uh, South Carolina and United States. You've uh, already told like two or three war stories. So right, I, right. I'm so we're going to be greedy. And if you have one more, that would be great. So Vicki Esslinger, what would be your uh, war story? Well, I'll tell you, that to illustrate the difference between 1974 and now, uh, 74 or five, I can't remember what year it was, but I was um, trying a case. And as I said, I'm short. So uh, the jury was impaneled and they had a little stool where you could stand. Oh, I know how old I was. I was 30 years old. I, uh, and the reason I know that was for my 30th birthday, and this was very unusual 40 years ago, um, I had gotten a tattoo and it was a little flower. And there was one of the other women lawyers had a tattoo and apparently it was the subject of great discussion. So we're in the middle of the jury trial Things had been moving a little slower than normal, I guess. And the judge must have been bored because he said, uh, just out of the blue, jury sitting over there. Uh, and, and somebody was looking through papers. He said, Miss Esslinger, could you approach the bench? And so I get up and I walk over to the bench. Opposing counsel gets up, on, gets up there. I'm standing up on the stool. And he leaned over. He said to the court reporter, you don't need to take this down. He said, Miss Esslinger, and I said, yes. He said, I heard you got a tattoo. What? And I said, oh. uh, yes, sir. And oh. he said, um, he leaned in and he said, where'd you get it? And I leaned in, he leaned in, an opposing counsel leaned in, and I said, in Augusta. <laughs> <laughs> I walked back to my chair <laughs> because I remember, you know, you couldn't like bite the guy. The jury, <laughs> right, the jury instructions. You can't say anything nasty. I'm sure he know he knew I had gotten it on my hip bone, and uh, I felt that I cringed. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And that's when uh, I learned, that's why I picked humor is the way I dealt with it. No, that was smooth. That, that was great. Um, you know, I that's that's a tough one to beat as far as uh, war stories go. That's pretty good. Well, he laughed. At least he laughed. Right. <laughs> and look, by the virtue of the fact that you've been practicing since then, it's, it's worked out okay. <laughs> Vicki, thank you so much again for joining us, for sharing uh, some of your stories. Um, you know, and like Dane said, you know, 
whether you have daughters or are just appreciative of uh, pioneers in this profession, thank you for everything that you've done and you continue to do for uh, lawyers in the state. Um, Can I say one thing that if, sure. I, if I could give absolutely any advice or tell the lawyers listening here, the one thing that I would really like to see them do, something I say to the women lawyers I talk to a lot, What's up? I hope that you will live your life in such a way that every morning when you wake up and your feet hit the ground, Satan shudders and says, oh, crap. <laughs> Look, I can't end better than that. That's, that's, that's <laughs> the best. So if you're listening, um, make sure that you're living a life where you're where sh Satan's shuddering. You know, that, I can't beat that. No, I think <laughs> so, that's the perfect ending. That's right. So like, subscribe. Um, share this episode with your friends. Go to follow us on social media at SC Law Pod. Um, go to our website at you know sclawpod.com. And but we can't beat that. So that's the way to go out. Like, share, and subscribe. This woman power. This 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 story needs to be uh, brought you know really broadcasted out to the legal community. This is a fun. Don't one. know it. So yeah. thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Mm -hmm.